With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. 45 yards rushing on the drive. Here's a cutback for the touchdown for Crowell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, we're going to be joined by Connor Hughes of The Athletic. We're going to talk about a wide range of topics heading into the Jets' week four game against the Jacksonville Jaguars including Jamal Adams' recent comments to the media about the Jets' lack of preparation against Cleveland and also him walking out of the locker room before speaking to the media after the Cleveland game. We'll talk about the Le'Veon Bell rumors. We'll talk about Sam Darnold and the offense, and we'll also preview the Week 4 game. So make sure you stick around for that interview. Connor is always good for a great conversation. Uh, We go for about 20, 22 minutes or so. Uh, before we dive into that, want to remind you guys two upcoming events this weekend for week four from our sponsors. First off, if you are going to Jets Jaguars in Jacksonville, make sure you check out the tailgate party being hosted by Game Day Tailgate Presents. Uh, make sure you check out gtepresents.com to get tickets to that event. Fireman Ed's going to be there. They're going to have memorabilia giveaways, food, open bar. Uh, All types of stuff going on. Definitely worth checking out if you're heading out to Jets Jags down in Florida. GTEpresents.com and then click on Jets First Jags to get your tickets. Again, Fireman Ed, memorabilia, open bar, food. Get out there early, hang out in the parking lot before the game. If you are not going to Florida and you're going to be in the New Jersey area for Jets Jags, we're going to have our second watch party and live podcast at Willie McBride's in Hoboken, New Jersey on 6th and Grand. Really appreciate everybody who came out for Jets-Giants in the preseason. We'll have the same setup as last time. Myself, Connor Rogers, Greg Armstrong, Clayton Smarslock, and a few other people from our site will just be hanging out watching the game over in the back room, and then we'll record a post-game podcast after. Again, that's Willie McBride's at 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey. They have drinking food specials all football season long for NFL and college. So if you hang out, if you're in the Hoboken area, as someone who lives in Hoboken, I definitely recommend checking it out not just for our watch party, but also for the entire football season. Also, last but not least, new friend of the podcast who will also be out at our William McBride's watch party on Sunday. Get around. The best way to think of this is basically like Airbnb for cars. They're now in the New York market, the Hoboken, New Jersey market. Basically, renting a car has never been easier. Convenient hourly and daily rentals with insurance included. It's hassle-free. You could sign up for free with no monthly or annual fees, no paperwork, no lines. You have unlimited choice of different types of cars they have, and the insurance is included. They'll have a table set up at the watch party. If you sign up, you get a free pitcher of beer. You'll be entered in a raffle to win tickets to Jets First Colts. I mean, what is easier than that? You sign up, you get a very useful app, you get some free beer, you might get tickets to Jets Colts. Again, that's Get Around, and you can go to www.getaround.com to learn more about them. And we are now joined by tonight's guest, frequent friend of the podcast, Connor Hughes of The Athletic. Connor, how you doing? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem, Joe. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. So 
the last time we talked, I believe there were a lot more positive vibes around this team. Uh, they started out fast, 1-0 with a huge win over Detroit. Now we're dealing with back-to-back losses, including a b- blown 14-point lead against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, came out today from Jamal Adams that they were not prepared for Baker Mayfield to replace Tyrod Taylor in the second quarter. Uh, it certainly appeared to be the case because as soon as Mayfield came in, the Browns basically dominated the game the rest of the way. Adams also, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe left the locker room right after the Browns game without uh, talking to any reporters. What what has been sort of your vibe around the team, and is that type of thing a little overhyped, or was that out of character for him? And what do you make of that, coupled with his remarks today? Yeah, look, I, I think that the, the Jamal Adams, yeah, he, he left a lot. He talked to SNY. Uh, he did, like, the TV bid, and, and then, I mean, look, he's a young player, so he's still kind of learning um, what, what the post-game uh, – the uh, not terminology. The post game uh, routine is for for players. You know, they they basically talking to a television, talking to the TV station, the team's TV station, and that's why that that doesn't count as fulfilling your media obligations. You need to make yourself available to the reporters. So uh, Adams, who was, who was very visibly upset after the game, who was one of those guys that was taking the loss to heart, um, you know, kind of did his thing with, with SNY, and then was like, all right, I just want to get out of here. I'm done, um, and and then left without talking to the media. And, and look, I mean. If, you talk, you say that to fans, and and fans are they going to be going? You know, they obviously all, always take the players back, and understandably so. And 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 Jamal is still a kid who's what twenty two, twenty three years old, and and I'm sure that when he calmed down, he, you know, the the media relations staff will talk to him and be like, look, he needs to talk to the media. But the whole thing with him is that is that Jamal is the leader, is a leader on this defensive field. He he's arguably this team's best player. And he's going to be somebody that, that players look to when things are bad and players look to when things are good and the media go to when things are bad and the media go to when things are good. So for him, he, he, he's got to learn that he needs to be made available uh, in, in all situations. And, and the fact that the Jets, you know, look, he's a guy that had no problem standing up and saying the Jets are back, you know, after they beat the Lions a couple weeks ago. So for him then after this very disappointing loss to, to not make himself available and leave, it's a bad look, and, and I don't think that Adams is a bad player. I don't think Adams is a bad guy. I think he was just somebody that was very emotionally involved in that game, emotionally distraught, and, and didn't really realize how things go in, in New York with, with those post-game requirements. So uh, I assume that he'll be talked to. I assume that, that the Jets will kind of explain things to him, and it won't be an issue going forward, but, but it obviously wasn't a very good look. Uh, they're coming out of, coming out of uh, that loss to Cleveland, and you know, regarding those comments that he made uh, on WFAN about not being prepared, you know, I, I don't think that that's too uncommon in the NFL. I mean, you, you kind of, especially on a short week, there's only so much you can prepare for. So they prepared for the starting quarterback, and they prepared for the, the guy that they thought they were going to see the whole game. I mean, when other teams prepare against the Patriots, they're preparing for Tom Brady, not Brian Hoyer. You know, when, they're, when you're playing the Giants, you're preparing for Eli Manning, not I actually don't even know who the Giants are. Quarterback challenge came I'm not sure. They're Davis Webb. Yeah, right. So I don't think it's too. Uh, I don't think it's too crazy or, or nuts for the fact that the Jets didn't necessarily quote unquote prepare for Baker Mayfield. I think that the. I don't know if the quote's necessarily t- being taken out of. They're not being taken out of context, but they might be made a little bit too much into just because of the fact that it looked they looked as bad as they did when Mayfield came in. Moving over to the other side of the football and focusing on two other young players. Robbie Anderson, uh, the team's lead receiver last year, was really considered a rising star in this team, has gotten off to a completely dreadful start to this year. He's got 
Six catches over three games, is barely being targeted, has lost two fumbles, uh, including an absolutely killer one against Cleveland. Is Anderson having a tough time adjusting to the reality that Quincy Inouye is now the lead receiver on this team and is pretty much thriving in that role, has been the Jets' most consistent overall player through three weeks? I don't think any of us thought that Inouye wasn't going to be heavily involved in the offense, but I thought most of us believe this would be a solid one-two punch and there'd be ways to productively use both of them is Anderson I don't know is he checked out how is his attitude has been how has his attitude been and is this not just an Anderson problem is it also a Jets problem for how they're using him or not using him enough uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with the last one I mean a- Anderson doesn't strike me as again it, it was it's kind of been a funky week man because the Jets had that Monday game Sunday then such a quick turnaround between um, the, the, the loss there in week two to the Dolphins and then the Browns that we, we as media, we really haven't been in the locker room actually at all since that loss. So we haven't had a chance to talk to Robbie and, and figure it out and talk about what's going on. But, you know, Anderson kind of strikes me as a player. And there are a ton of guys like this around the league that he needs to get going early, that, that he is somebody that needs kind of that early catch or two, one or two, you know, grabs, 15 yard completion, something like that pretty early on in the game. And then things really start to click for him. Then he really starts rolling, and then he really gets himself into the game. And, and I think that that's something that the Jets just haven't done for whatever reason. And I think that falls on Jeremy Bates, that he's kind of locked in. Almost, you, know, you talk about quarterbacks focusing so much on one player. It's almost like Jeremy Bates has focused so much in on one player and that he's designing and calling up all these plays to get the ball in Quincy and Nunn with hands. And I get that because Quincy and Nunn is a very talented player, and you see what he's like as a runner and, and how dynamic of a playmaker as he can be. But he can't forget that this isn't just a, you know, a one-act show, that there are other, there are other members of this band, and sometimes you've got to give the bassist attention, and you've got to give the drummer attention, and you've got to give the guitarist attention. And that means designing and orchestrating plays that are meant to get Robbie Anderson the ball or Terrell Pryor the ball or Chris Herndon. I mean, they need to start spreading the wealth around. And, and I think that, I don't know if necessarily those two fumbles, because you mentioned the one against the Browns, which was damning, but so was the one against the Dolphins. I mean, that really hurt the Jets as well. And and if I'm not mistaken, Miami ended up scoring seven quick points off of that. So, you know, this is something where I think that when Robbie Anderson does get the ball in his hand, he's maybe trying to do too much of it. So it's a little bit of, of Anderson pressing the issue once he catches it, but also a little bit of the Jets just needing to get him going early. Because again, I know how dominant Quinty Anunwa can be. I know how, how good he is. And certain, look, man, he's, he's, he's blown away the expectations that I had for him this year so far. But the Jets have to get other guys involved, and that means you know, designing a couple plays that aren't just a go route and aren't just a curl uh, to Robbie Anderson. How surprised or not surprised have you been by the overreaction the other direction towards Sam Darnold? Do we think it's just... Uh, a reality that he was going against Baker Mayfield in his first action and Mayfield played so well compared to him. But it's been borderline amazing, even though we know how irrational sometimes these things can be, seeing how quickly the narrative on Darnold has been turned around throughout three games. And also an odd sort of grouping of his Cleveland and Miami game. I didn't think he played bad against Miami. I think he had one bad interception. He threw for 350 yards and moved the ball up and down the field and was really killed by a supporting cast. Cleveland, absolutely. He looked overwhelmed in that game. Somewhat understandable considering the circumstances. But have you gotten a read on the feeling around the organization about him or how how he handled his sort of first rough outing, of which there's certainly going to be more. That's part of the learning process for a 21-year-old. 
Yeah, look, you want to know the kind of mental makeup that, that uh, Sam Darnold has. Just look across the pond there at the New York Giants. I mean, he is Eli Manning through and through when it comes to, to the way that he handles criticism and the way that he handles praise. This guy just, he, he's a flat line man. And fans are going to go nuts when they look over on the, or they see the camera pan on the sideline after he throws five interceptions in a game and he's got a stone face. But after he throws five touchdowns, he's going to have a stone face as well. The guy just never gets too high never gets too low, and that's one of the reasons why I personally think he's so perfect to play here in New York. And look, the, the Jets haven't lost any faith in, in Darnold. They still know what he can do. They're still as excited as they were way back when they handed him the starting job, you know, the, the many, many moons ago of 13, 14 days. Um, but, but I think that w- the, what you saw Thursday, uh, aside from the fact that, look, I, I think that the Baker Mayfield hype train was kind of perfectly set up there because that was, a primetime game that he made his opening with. And it was, you know, the first victory for the Browns in, you know, 635 days or whatever it was. And there were the Bud Light fridges. And it was just all of this perfect play, you know, the catching of the touchdown on the Philly special or whatever they're calling it in Cleveland. I mean, they're all kind of just set up to build this anticipation. And then when you flip the script on it, on its head and you realize that it was uh, a rookie quarterback in Sam Darnold, who was making the third start of his career against a Greg, a very, very talented Greg Williams defense on basically two days of preparation. I mean, Joe, I mean, it, it was a, like you said, it was a recipe for disaster there. He was, Sam Donald was not going to look good Thursday night, not on the road, not against that defense, not, not considering the circumstances. But I think that, look, if he comes out against the Jaguars and throws for another, you know, whatever yards and a couple touchdowns or he looks good against the Broncos and Colts, two games that aren't too as daunting as Jacksonville in the next three weeks, the high train will pick right back up. I mean, this is, this is kind of just the, the, the living and dying with, with a rookie quarterback. Sometimes he's going to look really good, and sometimes he's going to look really bad, and you just kind of got to take the good with the bad and realize that this whole year is about experience, building, and developing. I mean, Carson Wentz didn't look that great his rookie year. Led the, led the Eagles to, what, 7-9? and nine. What did I think actually Andrew Luck had a pretty good year. But going back to the odd Manning, I mean, how did he look his first year? How did, how did any of these elite-level quarterbacks look as rookies? They all take their lumps. They learn, they grow, and, and that's kind of what you're experiencing with Darnold. Regardless of the division of blame, it does seem like no matter what, Mike McCagden is going to be back next year. However, maybe not the case for Todd Bowles. As it stands right now, do you think Todd Bowles will be the New York Jets head coach in 2019? It's tough to say, man. I mean, right now with the way this thing's going, look, if the, if the Jets lose their next three games and, and they're sitting at one and five, uh, it, it's, it's going to be hard for, to, to build an, an argument for him to come back. I mean, the whole thing with Todd Bowles is that, you know, the Jets are, are saying that this isn't a playoff mandate, and Christopher Johnson said it over and over and over again. He just wants to see progress. He wants to see the team take a step forward. And, you know, last year when they went from that dysfunctional mess that they were in 2016 with players fighting and arguing, progress was considered the young building blocks that took steps forward and, and that really nice relationship that everyone had in the team chemistry within the locker room. That was considered a step forward, even though they had identical 5-11 and 11 records. This year... It's about not necessarily making the playoffs or beating the Patriots for the division, but they have to take another step forward. And that means winning some games and not falling down in the fourth quarter and not losing these tight ones and, and figuring out ways to pull them out. So if Todd Bowles coaches this team to a 4-12, and 3-13, or another 5-11 and 11 season, I don't, I don't see him coming back. I just, I just don't. I don't see that happening. But if he gets them to seven wins, which I think that magic number is, then, yeah, I see him coming back for one more year. So... You know, you look ahead at this one and, and the rest of the games on the Jets' schedule, there are some winnable ones. I mean, they do have another game against the Dolphins, a team I don't think is as good as their record indicates. They still have those two against the Bills. 
The Colts game's winnable. They got a game against the Broncos. I mean, there are winnable games coming up here on the schedule. But, again, it's going to be about winning those and also stealing a couple uh, to, to justify him coming back. Right now, you know, losers in two straight, just blowing another lead to the Browns. It's easy to look at the negatives. But, you know, I, I think that Todd will get this thing righted and, uh, you know, we'll come back for one more year with the Jets. And, again, I still think this is probably going to be a seven-win team. Looking at the defensive side of the football, this was a game where, despite how poorly Sam Darnold played, the Jets went up 17-14 with eight minutes left, then allowed a 15-play 75-yard game-winning drive to Cleveland where they allowed multiple third-down conversions. This is a defense that spent a first-round pick uh, in 2015, 2016, and 2017 on the defensive side of the ball, and Leonard Williams, Darren Lee, and Jamal Adams. Now, Jamal Adams on the field has absolutely had a fast start to the season, was a little quiet in the second half against Cleveland, but beyond that, has been very steady. Darren Lee had the massive game against Detroit and has been steady since then as well. Leonard Williams, we're now at the point with him where – 23 of his 28 career games, he has not registered a sack. Uh, He did not register a stat at all against Cleveland. In my mind, when the game is on the line there, you're counting on guys like Leonard Williams, Darren Lee, or Jamal Adams to force a turnover, to get a sack, to get your defense off the field. Jet fans still very sensitive to any criticism of these three, particularly with Leonard Williams, who is getting near potentially getting a big contract from them. Am I wrong in saying that, again, Leonard Williams, good starter, but for the sixth overall pick in the draft, why does this guy deserve a 50, 60, 70, 80, $90 million contract when right now Henry Anderson's the best defensive end on this team? It's a good question, John. I mean, look, I, I think that part of it is, is like, I mean, I, I get the Jets approach with Leonard because he is, he is a very good football player. I mean, he, he's a good player, but the guys that you draft sixth overall and, and as good as he looked at, Port, at Parch's rookie year and then his second year in the league, this wasn't somebody that was supposed to be a good football player. This wasn't somebody that was supposed to be a very good player. He was supposed to be J.J. Watt. He was supposed to be Fletcher Cox. He was supposed to be an elite, game-changing defensive lineman on this front and a cornerstone defensive player. And he has really regressed. And I get what the Jets say, that he's getting doubled, although, you know, spoiler alert, he's not getting doubled on every play. Go watch the film and you can see it. Um, they they, they kind of keep pitching this, that, that he's getting double-teamed, Yada yada, that you know, there he's he, you know, look, Leonard's doing his job because he's opening up holes for other guys to make plays. Like, I get it, and, and I get that that you know that happens, but you know what? Khalil Mack is the best player on the Raiders, and or not the Raiders, the best player on the Bears. And the Bears are not just using him at, to, to open up things and draw double teams and, and may, allow guys like uh, Floyd to make plays too, they're using him and he's making plays. You know, JJ Watt, another guy, I mean, yes. Yeah, he had some pressure alleviated off of him because Jadeveon Clowney is on that line too. But again, he's somebody that that is that that opens up and makes his teammates better and make plays as well. The fact that Leonard Williams, or the fact that there's this belief and the Jets keep pitching this perfect picture that Leonard Williams is getting triple teamed and double teamed on every play, and that's why he's not making plays. Look, I get it. Some players are double teamed and that negates them. But the best players, the the best of the best, your cream of the crop, your all pro, all world players, which is what Leonard Williams is supposed to be are supposed to make plays against offenses when they are still making it their goal to shut them down. It, it shouldn't just be that because an offense says, we're not going to let Leonard Williams beat us, that that means Leonard Williams doesn't beat them. And if you're as good as people believe Leonard, or as people once believed Leonard Williams was going to be, you make plays in spite of that. And right now he's not. I mean, you said the stat. What, I, think it's, I think it's three sacks he has in his last 28 games, not, not individual, but three sacks he has total in his last 28 games. I mean, this is not... You go back to the game against the, the Lions as well. 
He didn't have a sack assist or sack in that game as well, although he did have two quarterback hits. So that's now two times in three games that Leonard Williams hasn't recorded a single statistic in terms of a sack uh, assist or tackle. And that's just not going to do from a guy that's supposed to be your defensive cornerstone. You know, we, I remember talking to, to Sheldon Richardson a couple years ago when, when he was still in search of that big money contract with the Jets. And, and he said he was point black and he said, look, you get paid off that. You get paid off sacks. That, that's how you get paid. You get paid if you get to the quarterback and you get sacks. Hits, tackles, doesn't matter. I need to get sacks. It's time that Leonard Williams gets them as well. And the excuses that pile up, they're really not warranted anymore because if this guy's supposed to be as good as he's supposed to be, he's got to get to the quarterback. And I'm not talking about hits. I'm talking about bringing the guy down. We've gotten a recent surge of potential Le'Veon Bell rumors. How serious do you think the Jets are in potentially making this a type of move to go after him? And what would be reasonable compensation to potentially give up? And as somebody who's generally not a fan of investing in running backs in either free agency or in the draft, I'm starting to look at the Jets situation where they're probably going to have $110 million in cap space. Not a ton of people to pay internally. And when you get to the free agent market, generally the best pass rushers and offensive linemen are re-signed or franchised by their own team. So could the Jets be in a situation where not only could they address whatever they can based on what's available on offensive line and pass rush, and still have enough money after to pay Bell. Basically, do you think they are serious contenders and potentially acquiring him? And with the amount of financial flexibility they have, do you think they could still do what they need to do at other positions? Because look at how much money they had last year. They certainly weren't able to spend it all and still go after Bell as well. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if they're realistic contenders right now to trade for Le'Veon Bell just for the, stack, uh, for the, for the sake of the fact that it does – it doesn't really make much sense right now because of the fact that uh, the Jets can't re-sign him. So if, if there was the possibility that the Jets, you know, say he wasn't on the franchise tag, which is the last year of his contract, and uh, kind of like Dante Fowler, and, and the Jets kind of had the ability to go sign him and then immediately extend him or have a, a long-term contract negotiated, then trade, get him, and get it done, then I agree with it. But, but the fact that, that basically a long-term contract with Le'Veon Bell can't be worked out right now because the deadline's passed, yada, yada, the Jets would, would be taking a pretty substantial leap of faith considering what they would have to give up, giving up a draft pick. You think at a minimum, a number, a third, or, or they don't have a second, so it would probably at least a third, at least at a minimum, and that's what the, the Steelers just want to get rid of them, uh, at, at a minimum, a third-round pick for a guy that might play the rest of this season and then still has no guarantee to resign with you because then he can go into free agency and use the Jets as leverage and then go sign somewhere else for as much money or whatever. So I, I don't know if it's necessarily realistic right now for the Jets to trade for him. Again, they, they have called the Steelers, but the Jets call every single team that has a player on the trade block and ask them what it would cost to get said player. They write it down in their notebook so they know that if they ever want to pursue it, they have their background information filed. So as soon as there is a player on the trade block, the Jets call. So, so the fact that this got out there, that, that the Jets called about Le'Veon Bell, don't, don't be surprised because they literally call about every single player. Now, where it makes more sense for me is, is if he is there in free agency. Absolutely. If, if he's there and the Jets have all this money, like you said, they're going to have a close to $100 million in cap space. Absolutely. Go out there, sign the guy. He takes pressure off Sam Darnold, opens up the passing game because suddenly you can't keep too high safety because you've got to keep at least another guy down there in the box. So definitely go out there, give him the money. Looks like he's not going to have that many carries on his body this year, so he'll be fresh. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, do, it does make a lot of sense for the Jets to pursue him in free agency. He's also, Le'Veon Bell grew up a Jets fan. 
Um, so I, I just don't see it necessarily working in terms of a trade. There's, there's too much risk there because you don't know if you're going to be able to resign him. All right, final question before we let you go. Jets heading into Jacksonville, 1-2, and two, currently 8.5-point underdogs. Jacksonville coming off a 9-6 loss to the Titans. The Jets also did beat Jacksonville in overtime last year in a pretty weird game. Uh, what's your feel for this game, and what's your prediction? Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be closer than, than some people expect. I think the Jets will be in this one. Uh, because look, as good as that Jaguars defense is, their their quarterback is still Blake Bortles, and and you know you, you don't know if you're going to get the guy who who lit up the Patriots two weeks ago. If you're going to get the one that that I mean was just absolutely dreadful against the Titans, missing throws left, right, and sideways. So uh, I think the Jets defense is going to be able to give Bortles fits. I think they're going to be able to to get on him. They're going to be able to blitz a lot. They're going to be able to create pressure. They're going to be fresh coming off a couple extra days of rest here. Um, but but I just don't see a, a rookie quarterback lighting up the Jaguars' defense. I mean, that, that defense is, is arguably the best in the league. Uh, it was definitely a trap game last week against the, the Titans without Mark. Well, I know Mark Mariota got back in, but knowing Blaine Gabbert was going to start and coming off that big victory over the Patriots. So uh, I, I think that the Jaguars are going to be riled up to right their season, get things back on track. So I think it's going to be tough for the Jets to win. But I do think because of how well their defense is playing right now. I mean, what, I think I saw the stats. They're, they're what, they're 10th or 8th or something like that in the league right now in, in terms of total defense. So uh, I think they'll give Boros enough fits to keep it close, but still look for this one to be like a 20-13, to 20-10, uh, to 20-16 final, something like that, just because I, I don't see the Jets putting up a lot of points there against the Jaguars, and I see Jacksonville winning. All right, Connor Hughes, The Athletic, thank you as always for joining us. Everybody go give him a follow on Twitter, at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Connor, we'll catch up with you later in the year. Thanks again. Yeah, no problem, Joe. Thanks for having me on.